So by now, I'm sure many of you have seen videos of the muck, sludge, and mire that befell this year's Burning Man Festival, which takes place every year in the middle of the Black Rock Desert. From its humble beginnings in the late 1980s, attracting about 300 people, Burning Man has exploded into a global event that just seems to keep growing and growing. This year, in about 24 hours, the area experienced about two to three months worth of rainfall, resulting in a shelter-in-place order, the closure of the festival's entrances and exits, and stranding about 70,000 people in the clay-like mud of the playa, aka the sunken dry lake bed where the festival takes place. When the weather began to clear, so too did its attendees creating a seemingly never-ending exodus of muddy cars, trucks, vans, RVs, and everything in between. I've never been to Burning Man myself, but even before seeing the aftermath of this year's rainy mess, data released over the years about its ever-growing carbon footprint has pretty much turned me completely off from it. In just one week of its ephemeral existence, Burning Man produces over 100,000 tons of carbon dioxide, with 90% of that coming from attendees traveling to and from the festival. The festival's principles of self-reliance and leave no trace seem to be at war with each other in the face of our new climate reality. How do we stop a culture of disposability and encouraging folks to carry in what they can carry out while also encouraging them to prepare extensively in order to survive the increasingly inhospitable conditions of the playa. The amount of trash and belongings left behind this year compared to other years, though, was shocking. Because so many bikes, vehicles, and belongings got stuck in the wet, muddy clay from the rain and flooding, organizers are now faced with the daunting task of cleaning up. My friend Dion John, who is a member of the Reno Sparks Indian Colony and whose husband Matt John is a member of the Pyramid Lake Paiute Tribe, reservations that lie just south of the festival site, spoke to me to discuss her feelings about Burning Man, its both negative and positive impacts on her community, and other environmental issues facing sacred land in that area, like the Thacker Pass Lithium Mine Project. It's definitely a packed episode, but one I'm excited to share with you all today on this episode of the Earth to Humans podcast. I was just talking to you guys offline and Matt is sick with COVID and Hannah is raspy from having a great time at two music festivals. Um, <laughs> so we have the spectrum of <laughs> lives going on. <laughs> I'm somewhere right in the middle, I think. <laughs> um, but welcome guys uh, to the Earth Humans podcast. My name is Serena. And joining us, as always, are our producers, Matt Podolsky and Hannah Mulvaney. Um, you know, this this week's episode is very timely. Um, we're going to be talking about Burning Man. I'm curious about your initial thoughts when it comes to Burning Man, you guys, because I feel like I have my sort of notions about it. <laughs> But, you know, I'm curious to know what you guys think about it. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I feel like I don't I don't know that much about it, I guess. I mean, I've never been. I know, like, I, I, I know some people um, who, like, believe that it's the greatest thing in the world and, mm-hmm. like, go ev- every year and, like, 
talk about it and you get them on the topic and they won't stop. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like my perspective on it is like colored by those like who those people are and their personality, you know. Um, and it's yeah, it's just not something I've ever like been interested enough to like investigate or explore mm-hmm. you know i don't know um mm-hmm. i i mean i i guess i just assume it's a bunch of people getting wasted out in the desert that's my, <laughs> that's my yeah <laughs> i think it is that but i think there's probably more to it than that what about you hannah <laughs> I, I i mean i feel like <clears throat> i am uh, if yeah i'm just i've got festival throat <laughs> At the moment, so this is in like a much lower tone than than usual. Um, but as someone who loves going to festivals, hence my voice, um, I've I remember hearing about Burning Man like years ago and just thinking it sounded really really amazing. Like it sounds very epic. Like happens in the desert. You have to like take all of you all of this stuff and like the photos of it look incredible. Um, but I think like as someone who's never been to like an American festival or kind of been to Burning Man at all I think it seems to me like a festival of two halves much like Glastonbury Mm -hmm. in the UK which is that you have this very authentic side to it which is very like people going for like the sharing of resources and and to go and enjoy that side of it like I really enjoy that mentality of it and you get that kind of like old school-ness about Glastonbury as well but then you also just have this like mega commercial basically like like people there to have photos for their instagram and it's like very kind of like money orientated and and very like glamorous and whatever else and this just seems to be kind of two extremes of it to me and i feel like i i i i I like to be like know what i'm doing (laughs) you know like if i'm at a festival i like it to be like of a vibe and that's it like I really like small festivals I like yeah I don't know so I think for me it seems yeah it seems like that but then also the more I know about it and the more I've seen about it over the years um it seems like a like a lot of petrol is used a lot of like resources are used it doesn't have to be in the desert like does it like the, the, like all of these things have to I don't know it just seems like a, a complete ecological catastrophe to me so yeah yeah, I mean, that's that that was what I read years ago that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth for the festival. You know, I have a couple of folks that I know that go every year. They're super excited about it. And I feel like they're the kind that are more that old school mentality of just we're all here to share. And, you know, it's not about money or photos or anything like that. It's more about community. Um but, you know, just sort of like the the amount of trash that's left behind after this festival, the amount of like water it takes that they have to haul in, um, you know, just being on the playa, you know, just like the dust that they create. It's literally like a whole city that is created when everyone comes in. And it's just the access is difficult, too, because you have to have... I think either a certain savviness and community or you have to have affluence and money to be able to get out there. Um, And so I think there's same with Glastonbury, just sort of like two halves where you have a lot of techies that are coming in with lots of money um, and not really caring about the disposability of the things that they bring. Um, And but, you know, talking to um, my friend who you know works the festival some years and is like directly impacted by it you know she had a lot of interesting points to make about the benefits that it has to the tribe and so it's kind of it's hard it's like and I even brought up the point like you know having it in the desert it's really inhospitable especially this year because of all the the rain you know and so I feel like it almost forced them to have more of that like old school mentality of sharing because there was limited resources people couldn't get in and out and you just had to you know stick it out uh before you could get out so um I don't know but with the climate change rising temperatures that's going to be a harder and harder place for people a to live and b to festival in and so you know I brought that point up too is like what you know what happens if people stop coming 
what happens to the this revenue stream for the tribe and so you know just kind of pose some of those interesting questions but what are your thoughts on revenue that helps a community but is also detrimental to the environment and the community I don't know it's like it's it's so many things I I I feel like having just lived in Indonesia I can so see the like so I don't think tourism is good for them like from being a tourist there and witnessing like a lot of kind of cultural societal like environmental things I I can't say that I believe that tourism is good and it was so heavily relied upon that when COVID happened um it was, is still happening obviously sorry Matt not to uh invalidate your experience <laughs> <laughs> but like when it was at its peak um all of that revenue stream got taken away from them and people that I spoke to like local people were like we were starving like they they couldn't mm. They, say for example a lot of them had upgraded their boats so that they could do trips with tourists and they also used those as their fishing boats but then they couldn't t- use use those boats because they didn't have money for fuel so they had had to like sell their boats and all of this stuff and they were like because it's so heavily relied upon and I think that's such an important thing about like when we're talking about sustainable livelihoods is that tourism isn't particularly a sustainable one like it, people think that it is and it's like oh divesting from like um kind of wildlife trade and things like that and and providing an alternative livelihood through tourism like what if what if like the the oil runs out and people can't fly to these places what if um a covid or like another pandemic happened there could be any like a world war broke out and all these people are relying on tourism and it's, it sounds like a similar thing with burning man <clears throat> yeah those are great points absolutely Right. It's like it's one thing. <clears throat> and I mean, I, you know, again, I, I, I know very little about Burning Man, but like I imagine when it first got started, it was like mostly folks who lived in like more close to, to the site. Right. That mm. were attending. And now it's like, you know, it's like celebrities are global. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and there's you know, there's I mean. I was reading there's like a temporary airport so people can like fly in directly to the site you know um and i don't know like you could you could organize similar things with the same kind of like ethos locally you know if you're like the one of the organizers of the event or whatever it seems like that would be a, if you're gonna grow seems like that would be a better way to grow than to just be like yeah let's just get as many people like more and more people celebrities like let's have an airport let's just get like 70,000 people to the desert you know yeah yeah and and like that's not appealing to me you know what I mean like that like like Burning Man as it exists now like no no, thank you like no yeah you know I don't think we get to the bottom of that like all these questions in the episode by any means but I think it's just something important for people to think about like not just your individual carbon impact but like things that have like a bigger footprint that you're part of you know just maybe some food for thought like how that impacts everybody else the the community around you um the the environment that you're on the land that you're on we got to figure this out because (laughs) I, I just don't think the land can sustain it um, mm-hmm. for for very much longer. So, you know, like you said, Matt, I'm sure that the old school burners are like um, longing for times of yore <laughs> when Burning Man began and it was a lot smaller. Um, but, you know, it's just hard. So I imagine, you know, some of those ideas that came from like the the, the inception, that that original idea behind it. There, I'm sh- like there's a lot of altruism embedded within that I'm sure right and mm-hmm. it's like and, and you know and it's about artistic expression and, mm-hmm. and you know like good ideas right mm-hmm. um, but like without guardrails it it's like it, it it's like too successful right it's like yeah. so successful that it's like blown past yeah. the that those altruistic ideas yeah. You know?
My name is Dion John. I've always been a very cultural person and I like to respect everybody's culture and tradition. And my thought is the more you know about someone culturally, the more you can know yourself in a way, because there are a lot of similarities between all of us when you really strip down to things. Um, but the majority of us all believe in protecting the land, protecting the environment, being stewards of who we are here and our responsibility and our footprint that we leave or that we're standing in now currently. That's kind of been my thought on a lot of things. That's me in a nutshell, but I'm, like I said, I'm from the Reno Sparks and in Colony. Um, we do have Burning Man coming through our community a lot because we do own a Walmart here in town and we feel the impact of what Burning Man comes in and does through our community. Um, my husband, he is from the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe, which Burning Man basically goes through his reservation. Um, when we first got together, I was living out there in Pyramid Lake and it's a very difficult time as far as traffic living out in their community during Burning Man because it's a non-stop motorcade of cars going through of people going out there to the playa and it doesn't stop so like literally you can walk outside at two three o'clock in the morning and you will see a line of cars driving out to the playa and it's cool because you see some of the cars that are artistic and they're decorated and they're beautiful but then at the same time you do have those individuals that are bringing in large loud cars in the middle of the night or there's a school zone right there on the highway that they drive right in front of people forget that children go to school monday through friday and they walk across the street to go to the school so they have had a lot of problems with people speeding through the reservation just doing things that you normally wouldn't want them to do like with conference bringing in drugs and stuff like that not everybody does it but there are individuals that don't act responsibly when it comes to those things. They are just out there to have a party and have a great time. And I know a lot of them um, are doctors and lawyers and people that have stress-filled jobs. And I know a lot of them have gone out there and that's how they decompress. And I get that you have to decompress because if not, you're going to just burn yourself out. But at the same time, people forget that that's a great time for them, but our communities are impacted positively and negatively by the people that go to our community. Uh, I'm going to talk about Reno Spark. From probably about maybe two weeks before Burning Man to the days after Burning Man, you constantly see people going to the Walmart, which is on the second street, and they actually have to bring in extra large dumpers, dumpsters because so many people come in and purchase things from Walmart and in my opinion, I don't think they're being responsible because they go in and they bring these carts in and they go and buy bottles of water, cases of bottles of water. And if you're a true environmentalist or somebody that's thinking about their footprint that they're leaving, every one of those bottles of water that you take out to the playa, you then have to track back in that you should. You should take it back. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does. Not everybody is a good steward and takes care of the environment, but all those bottles have to be cleaned up at some point. Either it's from the person that takes them in or somebody that stays behind on the playa, which is sometimes two to three weeks. I've noticed that people are still coming back in, cleaning the playa and making sure that it is inhabitable for the wildlife and that it stays equally safe. Um, but like I said, I noticed that people would bring in by cases of water. And it's not just the water. People sometimes I don't think understand how dry it gets out there on the playa. And they buy beer and alcohol. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's, 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 I don't want to preach and say that they shouldn't do that. But when you're out in that desert, people forget that if you're not staying hydrated, you're going to encounter problems. Um, which a lot of people do. Because I see, being that we live so close to Washington Medical, I mean, Renown, we see medevacs coming in. Like the whole week, constantly hearing cars or something coming flying in because we know somebody's either probably suffered from major dehydration or something else that has happened out there. Because there's always some kind of unfortunate tragedy that happens out there, mm-hmm. but that 
two weeks that they're out there. And a lot of people, like I said, don't think about the long-term effects of what goes on. They buy bikes and they buy beers and they buy all these things and they leave their trash just in the parking lot. So that's why I said they have to bring in these large, large dumpsters to clean up the area because people literally just leave their trash in the parking lot and they open up things. And it's unfortunate because when you drive into the parking lot, you'll see like three or four of these large, large dumpsters, the kind that you can drive a car in. They're just overflowing with just trash and just nonsense. And people don't think about the recycling of those things a lot of times. There are some people that, oh, I'm going to buy a storage unit, which they have built a lot of storage units between here and out there so people can reuse their stuff, which is good. And I'm glad that they're reusing their stuff, but a lot of people just go out there that one time, buy lawn chairs, buy bikes, buy mirrors, buy whatever they're going to buy, and they just leave it. And that's another thing, too, is on the way out there, you have that desolate area of abandoned vehicles, abandoned trash, and it's like people are just like they drive out and they're like, well, I don't want to carry this all the way. So they kind of just discard things along the way, and it's like, well, the environment in that area has to either, one, take it in and recycle it, two, find some place to put it, or three, they just leave it out there. And unfortunately, some things do just get left out there because they can't take them. A lot of them are the vehicles that people just abandon because vehicles break down because they're able to come all the way back in. It's like they barely make it out there and they barely make it in or they don't even make it back in. And it's an unfortunate circumstance because all these environmental things are left for somebody to pick up and maintain. And I'm not blaming Burning Man necessarily because Burning Man, they're very conscientious of trying to recycle, reuse. They do tell people, hey, what's bring in, please take home. Take it with you. Don't leave it here. They do donate a lot of the food that they have left over to the community out there in Pyramid Lake. So, which is great. At the end of Burning Man, they bring in cases of water or organic taco meat or all these different tortillas, which is great because a lot of that goes to the youth that live in the community. So they have food in their bellies because a lot of it is a lower income out there and a lot of families don't necessarily work or if they do work, they work for smaller jobs within the reservation. So they do benefit from the assistance that Burning Man gives them. Also, Burning Man does donate part of the fees that they get from the ticket to the tribe to maintain the roads, maintain all these different things, which is very courteous, wonderful, and kind because they are thinking of the effects that they leave in that environment because they do go through their system. And my, my beef is never with burning that itself because it can be a wonderful event. It is a very cultural event. It is a very beautiful event. I've been out there once years and years ago <laughs> and I actually did it from the security end of it, which was very interesting. Um, but it was fun. It was very car artsy and, you know, it was back in the early days of when people were out there because they wanted to build the world as a better place or see the world as a better place. Things have changed over the time as all things do. You have your little groups that are like, well, we want to party or we want to do this and we want to do that. Which you're young, you only live once, but at the same time, you always still have, I, my mind is you always have to think of how does your energy or what you do affect the people around you. Because mm-hmm. at some point, that's going to come back around you. So if you're living a, a junk life or a fast life that isn't good to you or good to the people around you, eventually it's going to come back around you. And and people don't realize that because they want to live in the fun moment. But like I said, you know, things happen out there at Burning Man and we hear the medevacs and I see the community that the left behind stuff. Mm-hmm. And then people bring in their trash, like I said, the bikes. And that's another thing too. I was watching... Um, you know how they have those little TikTok or the little videos on Facebook that gives you the facts. That, like, I think it's the AJ Project. Mm-hmm. They did one on um, the bikes that come from Burning Man. And it was shocked me to see that because they were saying that I think like 
75% of the bikes that come from Burning Man on the seats may have some kind of um, STD or an STI or UTI on them. They did the statistics because they tested the seats because people sit on them and sweat. So they were saying that, you know, if you get a bike from Burning Man and they were joking about that, remember to clean the seats and maintain that. And I was sitting there thinking, wow, <laughs> it was kind of a shock to me to see that. And it's out, the video's out there. I'm sure if you Google um, AJ Project and Burning Man Bikes, you could pull up the video really fast. But it, it showed the playa and everything. But it was surprising to see the number of how it, you know, how many bikes go out there and how many people may have something with them. But they donate those bikes to the community. And that was another thing that I was thinking about after I saw that. I was thinking, wow, all those bikes come back to people. I hope they can click tap to wipe them down, you know. Yeah. But it, it, it's the craziness of it, but it's the beautifulness of it, too. I, I Like I said, I, I love seeing the art and seeing the creativity. But as far as the negative environmental impact left by people that aren't there for the sustainability it makes me sad Mm -hmm. yeah i read um that the like last year it was uh the carbon footprint for burning man was over a hundred thousand tons of co2 that was created and um i i saw a similar photo it wasn't it wasn't the the bikes and the stds but it was um just the number of bikes that get left behind and sort of the like you were talking about the disposability of things that people buy ahead of time um, and just sort of having that mindset of like, I can just leave it. I can, you know, it's affluent culture because there's a lot, you know, Burning Man is expensive. It's logistically challenging and it's a lot easier when you have a lot of money to make that happen. Um, And I guess I'm wondering, like, you've kind of seen Burning Man through the years. How, How do you think the mindset of the people that attend has changed from maybe those early days where it was people that worked, you know, crazy jobs and were just looking for a release, but were, you know, still thinking about their impact to maybe nowadays when things are sort of, maybe the environment is not made a priority in people's minds. And there is sort of this like culture around disposability and, um, you know, like, I guess, what have you seen change as far as the folks that attend? Um, I've noticed that there are a lot of people that fly to the airport too, which are foreign people that come in and they have to rent vehicles. They have to rent the stuff because they're not necessarily from here. And a lot of people, it's not even the foreigners, it's people that are from out of the state too, because I noticed that, um, if you Google, um, RVs and you wanted to rent one during Burning Man, I think the closest one is like. 800 miles to wow. rent an RV. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Is that because so that, the companies hate how yeah. people leave them? <laughs> one, I think it's because companies hate how they leave them. Two, it's because the ones that can rent them are renting them and that it just takes that radius out further and further because you can't rent them. Um, we were going to rent one RV for a little family trip. Um, out of town to go to California. And I noticed that, like, the prices, too, even for the RVs, like, were triple the week of Burning Man versus wow. ordered it the week before or, like, the weeks after. It was, like, triple. And I was like, oh, my God. It was crazy. And um, I was watching uh, TikTok last year after um, everything had ended, and there were people that had videos of looking for their RVs. And I was kind of sad and it was kind of funny at the same time because we we're starting to realize that a lot of people just don't care when they show up. They just like, I'm here. I'm going to mm-hmm. have a great time. I don't care how this is or what this is. I'm just here for me and my fun time. And um, a lady and her husband like had this GPS and they were driving around Reno looking for their RV because it was moving because every time they'd kind of like find it in one spot, they'd go to it and it would like move. So they, they were tracing this RV around. Finally, I believe they found it back in one of the industrial areas, like literally abandoned. But wow. when they found it, it was flat. It had playa dust everywhere in it. 
and they had like i guess on the contract the lady's like this violates everything on the contract you're not supposed to do this you're not supposed to do that you're supposed to maintain it because if you've ever been out and most people haven't been out to that playa the playa dust is like glitter mm-hmm. it's just the easiest way of equating that dust it is like glitter so once you get that dust on you or get it in something it is so hard to get it out unless you like thoroughly wash it and a lot of times it takes a couple uses of washing and washing it for that playa dust to finally get out of stuff so the lady was freaking out she was saying how much money they're going to have to spend to clean and detail the RV. She's like, I knew we shouldn't have lent this to this person. I knew we shouldn't have rented it. And it was, it was really sad. Like I said, you can go to TikTok now because a lot of people are posting all their horror stories as well as their amazing stories of what happens at Burning Man. And I was just like surprised because I didn't think that people would just like take somebody's RV and abandon it and just be like, oh, wow, whatever. Because, most people don't do that. <laughs> Several people be like, okay, I rented the vehicle. I want my deposit back. Here's your vehicle back in the same condition. I brought yeah. it back in. Person just was like, ah. <laughs> and that's why I think a lot of it comes from that major disposable income of, I'm in that bracket of, oh, well, it's not mine. I can apply I could to me. Yeah. 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 $600, $700, and we're fine. And it's like this poor person over here is like freaking out like, now I've got to clean this and, I, you know, and it's, like I said, some of the burners that come here leave a really bad taste in people's mouth because it's the attitude of, well, I paid my money for these tickets and I have the right to do what I want to do mm-hmm. because I need an outlet. I need to take a break. I need to have that. That's well, I think the culture has changed from the original Burning Man of when they would go out in the desert and, you know, Thing, and they'd have um, soccer games. They would have a great time. It was more of a community of a family orientated at the beginning because I remember there were even little kids that would run around on the playa, like little, little kids, like half naked, having a great time. And now I, no parents take their kids out there, but I don't think it's the same kind of culture because one, things have changed as far as you don't know who who is around. The stranger danger has changed. Two, also, like I said, it's a lot of the entitlement of, I paid this, I deserve this, I don't care if your feelings are hurt, my feelings are more important than how I feel about this. And it, it does make me sad because it once was something amazing, and I'm sure it still is in certain spots because they have their pockets, and that's something, another thing too that I found out is like, each little area has their own little subsection of, you know, you got your artistic people you've got your people that are raving out there you got your people that are just going out there just to go out there yeah so it sounds like almost like a microcosm or like a metaphor for the rest of the world like yes <laughs> you know no, it's literally it's literally they said that's the second most populated city for the basically the week and a week to two weeks that they're out there that's it almost rivaled Vegas on the wow. population of how many people go out there. Yeah. And if you've ever seen one of those aerial views of how it literally looks like a little city because you have their roads and they all break up into their little sections, it's crazy because that many people out there in that tiny little area, it, it does question about how can that area survive? And I think that's probably why it's only a week long because if it were to be any longer than that it that area could not sustain that many people because it just grew so fast it yeah they don't like they said that they have security out there but their security i know are were running ragged when i was out there so i'm sure by now the security has to have tripled or quadrupled and it's crazy out there so yeah i mean it's 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 super complicated and as you were talking earlier about like sort of some of the positive impacts of Burning Man, you know, I guess I hadn't really thought about it like that, where it is sort of, um, you know, excess bikes or excess food or excess water um, finds its way into helping families' lives there. And sort of like if we took Burning Man away, um, that would be a huge impact on the community there for 
you know, just not having that influx of either be it income or supplies because it's so rural out there. Um, it seems like if Burning Man were suddenly taken away, that would be, you know, pretty impactful for all oh, the yeah. negative things that it does bring as well. Right. And that's where I mean, it's, it's that duality of it is negative, but at the same time, there are that light positive spots that it brings in because, like I said, during that week, people are in and out of that flyer. So I know the communities set up car wash stations so people don't have to bring their cars back to mm. the rental and be super dirty. They clean them. They clean them off so that they can take them back. And that right there, like I said, it's income into the community. And there's people that sell their taco booths or sell their food booths that that one day or that one week that they set up there sometimes that can sustain them a whole year because they do make such good money off of those sales that, excuse me, that people purchase their stuff going into there because you can't, once you're in there, you're in there, you're not coming mm -hmm. out, you're not buying a bunch of stuff. And that's why a lot of people sit outside and they're like, we have bags of ice, we have extra cases of water in case you want these before you go in, we've got this. And yes, they mark them up, but like I said, that provides for a lot of the families and not just the indigenous communities that are by them. It also provides for the smaller communities that are on the way up there too, because that's how they sustain themselves for a whole year. And I know during when they didn't have Burning Man, some of the communities were struggling to rake and to have the things that they normally would have because Burning Man brought that stuff in. And like mm -hmm. I said, Burning Man, it's, it's that double-edged sword of, Yes, it brings in such positive things to these communities and such amazing stuff, but at the same time, it brings the negative, the extra trash. It brings in the unsustainability because people use things one time and are like, I'm just going to throw it away. Which, if people could be more mindful of, okay, I'm, I'm taking this stuff in. How can I, one, reuse it, or two, where should I donate these things to? Because a lot of people don't take the time to research it. And I I know some people, they could probably, they do sit out there and they do take in, you know, whatever somebody wants to drop off and they resell some of these things back to the people with next year, which is cool, like I said, because they are trying to make their sustainability. But there are other people that are just like, well, I don't care. And it, it, that's the ones that make me sad is the ones that I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, and I was reading too about sort of the the potential like impact climate change might be having on the festival down the road. You know, so like as oh we just God. talked about, like you know, this is Did sort you of see the floods this year. Yes, so the flooding, and then also just like how hot it's getting yes. out there in August. And so you know, if we are potentially, well, not even potentially, we are set to have a warmer climate, and it's going to yes. get hotter and hotter. Like, what impact will something like that have on the community? A, if we, yeah, if we have uh, like weird flooding like that, that's going to maybe postpone or even prevent the festival from happening and then be having a high temperatures that are just like unlivable out there and and folks stop coming right and that's the thing too is i i don't necessarily know if people will ever stop coming as long as they have the festival because you do have your diehard that no matter what they're gonna go because i think some of it is tradition every year i've gone to that burning man i've and I will continue to go to Burning Man. And that's good. But at the same time, looking at, um, the, like you said, the environmental impact of, you know, what's going to happen, you also need to have those safeguards. Because like I was mentioning how they have to medevac people in because people don't understand how dry and hot this desert can be. And they don't hydrate enough. They don't you know, take the time to sit in the shade, but even out there in the fire, there's really no shade. You have to bring in your own shades and stuff like that. But it's the unfamiliarity of the environment in the area that ends up doing in a lot of people because that desert also drops temperature at night mm -hmm. and it gets super, super cold and people don't realize that you're coming to a desert. They're like, oh, I'm in a desert. It's going to be hot. Well, yes, during the day, it's boiling hot, but in the evening, it gets super cold and sometimes it can almost freeze because of the desert level that we're at. We are a high desert which gets snow and people don't understand we do get snow and they're like, wait, you snow in Nevada? Yes, 
we get lots of snow, <laughs> you know, because we're at that elevation. Yes, yes. It's it's crazy because it's like the, we're just we're seeing this example everywhere. You know, we were we have been, you know, kind of inundated with all the the wildfire relief in uh, Lahaina town in Maui right now. And, you know, you and I have been working in Halau trying to raise money and awareness and all of that. Um but that's a that's another. It's like tourist towns or tourist communities, or if there's like a uh, like Burning Man, like a festival that happens once a year that's like legendary, and and people come from all over to do it. Um, it, it the the whole economy of those areas is just so reliant on that. And when you have external factors that you can't control, like climate um, or people and their personalities, it can make for a lot of uh, potential conflict. Right. Yeah. A lot of times there is that negative that people forget of, oh, well, they say our our tourism dollars fund your area. Our mm. tourism dollars make you a better place. And then even like in Haina and Hawaii and all that, I, my thought is, well, yes, your tourism dollar does help our communities, but it does not make our communities. Mm-hmm. We make our communities. We are the ones who determine how our community should be handled. And if you are not mindful or not respectful of that, you shouldn't be coming out here. You shouldn't be going anywhere because you're going to come in with that attitude and mindset of, I know what's better for you than you do. And mm-hmm. no one should tell me that. No one should ever say that because my people have lived here way before the millennia you know i'm i am now i think 20th generation born and raised here my great-grandfather my great-grandmother i can trace my lineage and my ancestors back to the original people i know exactly where my grandparents came from and how they migrated over here to reno and to nevada because originally part of my family was from california the other part was from pyramid lake my family migrated over here to Reno. We traveled, I traveled and I found my ancestry and I know who my people are. And when people have that audacity of saying, well, we know what's better than you guys, it, it hurts me and it upsets me. Cause like, especially when I see in the Hawaii things that are going on right now with TikTok and Facebook, everybody's like, oh, well, you need our money. So let mm-hmm. us back in there. It's like, no, every area has to have a grieving process. Especially when you go through something as devastating as what they just went through. It's that I need to heal my spirit, my mind, and my soul before I can take in and take care of you. And yes, we would love to have you come in as a visitor, understand our culture, respect our areas. But if you're not going to do that, please don't come when we're mourning. Please don't come in a disrespectful way. And it's the same thing when you go to Burning Man. We'd love to have you, but if you're going to be disrespectful... We'd prefer you not to come to this area. <laughs> what are some um, ways that you think people could be better stewards and sort of better participants of Burning Man? And I guess what you think a good future looks like with that collaboration between the tribes and Burning Man and the people that come out? My thought is probably making it smaller scale for you. You know, think about when you go backpacking or when you go traveling somewhere. You're not going to take in the minivan on your back because you can't carry in a minivan. You're going to take in a couple pairs of pants, maybe some light shirts and a sweater. You're going to have a water bottle that you can refill because of the fact of how much you have to take in. And I think that's what people need to be mindful of is everything you take in, you should be able to carry back out if your car breaks out. Mm. And if you can't carry it all back out, then think about what is the most important things for me to take when I go out there. Not, I want to go out there and I want to take everything with me and I'm going to dance around and have a great time. Well, that's fine. But at the same time, if your car breaks out, can you take your stage with your go-go boots <laughs> on your back and bring them back to Reno? If not, maybe the maybe stage leave them at the home. home. <laughs> yeah, leave the stage at home, just bring the go-go boots. That's absolutely fine. I wonder too if you could just sort of like describe why you love and appreciate um, your ancestral homeland, your husband's ancestral homeland, and like what that means for you and your community in terms of taking care of it, um, like remaining the 
the stewards that you guys have been um, in memorial like, to that land and sort of like why people should sort of see from your point of view, like why it's sacred and why you should respect it? Well, sacred is a whole different issue. Um, a lot of people don't respect the sacredness of places. And um, I could go down a rabbit hole on that one because go um, for it. We're, yeah. all, we're, we're also on top of the lithium mine. And I don't know how many people are aware of lithium mines and the impact that they have on the environment. It is very devastating. But a lot of times people equate those lithium mines to the green cars and how they're going to save the planet with those green cars. Green cars aren't going to save the planet because you still have to have electricity. You still have to have something that runs that car. Yes, fossil fuels are bad, but if you look at the lithium batteries and you look at the process in which it takes to mine those batteries and the communities that they are set in, it does not outweigh the benefits there there's no benefits as far as my mind when it comes to green cars and i always say that green cars nowadays are green in the concept of money because the people that profit are the people that want those green cars they're the people that are saying you need a green car because you're going to save the environment and it sounds good when you sit there and think about it in theory yes i want to save the environment i want my children to live in a better place but digging a hole in the ground and extracting unstable, volatile, toxic chemicals to make a battery is not sustainable and is not environmentally safe. The amount of water that is used to go into those mines is astronomical. And once that water is used in the process, it is no longer potable water. It is no longer drinkable. It is no longer, it is considered contaminated water. It has to be filtered, and that process is expensive. Most of those, they let the they let the pond basically evaporate, mm-hmm. and that's what it does. That's the only way you can recycle it. Is the pond the pond has to evaporate, and once they evaporate, that's water into the air. But you're still leaving all of that toxic environmental waste there, and the water table is so important to us. It's one of those things that if you're Someone that's been around longer, if you understand the pipeline process and the pipeline problems with the water back in Standing Rock, back in Minnesota, and even if you go to Flint, Michigan, which is a non-reservation and a non-native area, they understand the struggles of having water that they can't drink. The water is our life. That is what we need to sustain us. I don't care what environment you're in. If you're in an urban environment, you're in a country environment, you're in rural, you're on the moon. You need water to sustain you. Once you do not have water, as a forestry person, how many days do you have to live with that and you don't have water? What is it? Three days? Three days, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, three days and you're done. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have water in your environment or you have non-drinkable water in that environment, in three days, that area is basically a wasteland. So once the water gets contaminated by these mines, It is not sustainable. And my daughter and I have really been stewards with the anti-lithium mine that is coming over the Thacker Pass. Um, We're having a march and a run next month. So if anybody would like to join, uh, contact you and I'll happily hook them up with that information. But because it affects the farmland, it affects the wildlife that's up there, they didn't take that into consideration. They were more in concern with a lithium mine be put on there, and the company that is backing it is from Canada. So that's another thing that upsets me is you have foreign money coming in and digging these mines and making these mines, and they're saying it's going to benefit these communities. But at the same time, if you don't have water in your community, do you truly have a community? Because you can't drink anything. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I keep telling people. I said, yes, you're going to get all that money, to build this, to build that building. But where's your water coming from? Once you destroy your water table, you can't live in that area. You're going to have to take that money and move however many miles down the road to live in an area. And then we were talking about how that water table in Thacker Pass, it literally feeds that whole valley right there of farmland, of alfalfa. 
So you're killing cattle's food, you're killing the people's food, and you're killing their water. It, it, to me, it doesn't make sense. And like I was saying, is most of these lithium mines are in third world countries. The three biggest ones, two are in China, and one is in, I believe, Brazil. And those employ, I believe, I think the last number I heard was 40,000 workers were at each one of those mines. And yes, you do bring in a lot of jobs, but the problem is if you've taken a photo, and I, I suggest everybody take a Google look at what the area of a lithium mine looks like after. It literally yeah. looks like a gigantic wasteland, and it's devastating. But that's one of the things we feel important as Indigenous people is we are stewards of this land. We were put on this land to take care of it, to make sure it is here for my child, her grandchild, her great-grandchild, and their great-grandchildren, you know, because we don't just think in terms of, okay, this is my family and what's responsible for my family. We think about the seven generations that are either before you or after you. And that's important because that what you do can affect them. And people don't realize just by small actions, you can either save things or you can destroy things, you know. Another good analogy is you think about like the uh, butterfly that causes the hurricane, which affects it. It's something small that starts something, which then turns into something big. And people listening to the people that were put on this area or originally inhabited this area is important if you are a true environmentalist, an activist, or someone that just downright cares because they will tell you what we need. They will tell you what we don't need. And if you don't listen, you're just, you're just being a jerk. <laughs> you're definitely part of the problem. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. And we've yes. seen, we've seen examples of this time and time again. I remember doing an episode for this podcast several months ago about Paya Hunado um, down uh, near like Bishop Owens Valley area and the like Payunadu was once a thriving lake down there and just got diverted down to Los Angeles until there was nothing oh, yeah. less left and and the dust has created so many problems for the community and um, like indigenous leaders there are dying faster because of complications related to the the PM 2.5 that's getting into their lungs from the dust and and they're like the last people that remember it being like the lush, beautiful place that it once was. And, okay. you know, and so it's just sort of like we've seen this happen. It's happening in Great Salt Lake, too. And sort of when you have these places that, um, you know, get mined to destru destruction or get drained to destruction, it's never a good outcome. Um, right. And I think exactly what you're saying, like the the sort of electric cars are going to save us mindset is not uh, sustainable. I mean, it's a it's a sort of capitalist solution to a capitalist problem. And, it is. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think that. Um, you know, sort of some of these green initiatives like solar, like wind are um, necessarily going to be the things that get us out of this hole that we're in. And so we have to come up with other solutions. We have to listen to indigenous communities, like you were saying, because you guys know what the land needs because you guys have been the stewards of the land for so long. So, um, yeah, I... I it's it's frustrating too because I see you know we kind of started this conversation talking about Burning Man and like in comparison to like the lithium mining it seems like not small potatoes but like it's just it's it's sad to me that there are so many things that are like coming at you and your community from all different sides um, whether it's related to like your health and and the environmental impacts and the cultural impacts and all of that but it's like you guys are really having to fight to keep your land in your hands and be the stewards and and be listened to as the stewards um, kind of across the board well i look at it as a multifaceted approach everything kind of feeds into each other people a lot of times that aren't from our communities view it as, oh, one problem, one issue. No, most of these problems kind of spider to each other and they connect with each other. Because if you're a true person that's thinking about the environment, you're going to realize that, okay, 
if you don't have enough water, it's going to affect this. Or mm-hmm. if you dig a big hole, it's going to affect this. And a lot of it does come in connection with the climate change because it does connect. Because once you start going off an ecosystem out of balance, it then has to do something to compensate to bring it back in balance. And when it's not in balance, it's hard to bring it back. Mm-hmm. So it comes back to if you didn't do this, we wouldn't be having necessarily climate change. We wouldn't be necessarily going down this rabbit hole of we need to save the planet right now. Well, we should have had this conversation 20 years ago. Some people were, but a lot of people now with the actual thing of the hurricane, which yeah. are hitting the, the West Coast. People are seeing it and feeling have, it. Yes, they are seeing and feeling it. Finally, they're like, oh, you were telling the truth. It's right. like, yes, ma'am, we were telling this was coming years ago. If right. you didn't stop, it was going to happen. You know, and I think it's kind of like a snowball effect. It's, it's now it's rolling. How do you stop that snowball from rolling? And you're not going to necessarily get that snowball to go back up. You've just got to stop the snowball at this point because that snowball has gotten so big. You know, you can't necessarily pull one thing and say, oh, it's going to change it all. Well, no. Your question is, how do you slow the snowball down? How do you stop the snowball because I don't think you're going to regress it and get the environment back to the way it was unless you did massive change and the only way to do that is like unfortunately like if you looked at COVID when you stopped going to areas during COVID the environment and the area healed itself Mm -hmm. you literally have to sit home to change the environment and that's not feasible by any means nobody's going to sit home and stay in their house locked up because it's hard to do, but even I think you see it too when people start going to areas continually see over and over. It's like they cut that path through a line that wasn't supposed to be there. All of a sudden, that flower that used to pop up on that path isn't there anymore because there's so many people that have gone through that area and that's the flower doesn't metaphor. want to grow there. Yeah, that's it, such it, a good it, metaphor. It, yeah, and it's, it's, we need to think, okay, responsibly of, okay, we need to do this, but how is the best way and the least impact to the area where we can continue to do things, but yet not destroy the area? Because you want to have this area for generation after generation to see these flowers or to see this place or to see this stuff. But if you don't stop what you're doing or slow or minimize it, it's going to continue. And it's, I think, a collective experts from everybody not just one person not just one group we all need to collectively think how can i do this better how can i be better you know as a person or as a anything you know man woman child we all have to think how can i be better and more thoughtful of my area yeah and it's you know we've i've had a lot of conversations with folks about this too but it's like when you are passionate about the environment which I feel like everybody should be at this point but like when you are kind of tackling these issues and trying to come up with solutions you're in it you're you're inundated with environmental devastation all the time and it can be so disheartening and just sort of feel like change isn't happening and it's never going to happen but you know but there I think there's still like a light in all of us that still do this work where it's like we have some semblance of hope in there that things can maybe not go back to the way they were, but can still be better than if we didn't do than if we did nothing. So I just wondered if you could speak on like your sense of hope for the future for your kids and like what you want your land to look like and be like for your future generations. Oh, that's a long one. Um, My hope is that my children will be able to live in this area. Whether they want to or not, it'll be the same or as close to the same as they can in 20 years from now. You know that we may have a new home or they may have, but their area will still be their area. I hope that, you know, my husband's area out there, Pyramid Lake, you know, environmentally is taken care of more so that it can be there in the next 20 years, in the next 30 years, because without people taking the time to think about how they affect the area, 
that area is not going to stay the same. The area is going to change. And a lot of times the change is not positive change. And I hope that people take into consideration and thought of, or sit at leave this plastic bag, I will take it over to the receptacle and I will throw it in there. You know, even that small act of picking up a piece of trash that may not necessarily be your trash, but it is trash. And it is something that will change the environment. It will destroy the environment. Maybe it'll go into a fish's stomach and that fish will die. That could, that fish could have fed a bird. And then that bird in turn will eat the bugs that are on the ground. And then you have an infestation of bugs. It's one of those cycles of something small can turn into something big and change a whole environment positively. If you think of, okay, I'm going to pick something up that might not be my trash, but I'm going to pick it up because that will prevent something else from happening. You know, or just pick it up. You don't think about it. Just pick it up. That's what I think I want people to start doing is not thinking, how does it benefit me? But I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to start with something small. Maybe, you know, even bringing that extra water bottle that's reusable that you can fill up with the jug rather than buying the case of bottled water, which all has those bottles of water because then you got it out put that into a lab field, you know, thinking of how can I sustain myself? And, you know, and everybody jokes about the, the, what the term of it was, it's nice, but it's considered poor, you know, I guess live the poor lifestyle. You don't have to live cheap, but live poor, live simple. <laughs> you know, uh, if you look at somebody, they said, oh, it's, it's, it's beautiful to have those beautiful water bottles and it's sustainable. Well, you know, when we were kids, sometimes, unfortunately, we had the the cross butter top. We reused it as Tupperware. We didn't go buy the good Tupperware. We just reused that, you know, mm-hmm. that sustainability of it may not be the best and it may not be the prettiest, but it works. <laughs> serving a purpose and it's saving something, you know. Yeah. Yes. I, I, that's my hope is, you know, one day that people will think small and one day think on a larger scale of, okay. Now, how can I help the environment? How can I make myself a better person and change something small to make a big change? You know, even people like they always say, share a meme, share a thought. Things like that can still make a big impact because, you know, you might hit the right person all of a sudden. They're like, hey, I didn't think about that. I should do this a little bit better. I should use my butter jar instead of throwing away my butter jar. Or, you know what, better yet, I'll use my bag that came from my sandwiches and I'll reuse that to put, you know, something in it and I'll recycle it that way. Yeah. It sounds funny and corny, but just those small steps does make a big difference over time, you know? I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Um, Yeah, well... Uh, you know, we're having this conversation ahead of Burning Man, which starts on August 27th. And I'm hopefully going to have this episode out just after Burning Man finishes up. So um, it should be fairly time timely in people's minds and hearts as they, um, you know, read things about Burning Man or that area. But, you know, that area is so much more than just Burning Man. Um, it's just one piece of the puzzle that we're all trying to solve. And, um, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this stuff and, um, you know, kind of enlighten our listeners. And I'll definitely link um, any resources you have for how folks can um, help with your efforts on the lithium mine and, you know, maybe donate and um, that kind of thing, just so that we can, we can, be helpful across the board um, and, you know, make this, make this issue, raise this issue up and um, hopefully make some change happen. So um, yeah, thank you so much. (laughs) Of course, of course. Happy to be here. I, my thoughts are everywhere. I'm like, when you ask me a question, I'm like, Oh, how do I answer this? Because there's so many different (laughs) ways that I want to tell everybody everything that's going on in my head. But, you know, like I said, take in what you take in take back out and like i said if your car breaks down think about it that way yeah can i lug all that stuff back out if my car were to break down well if not scale it back a little take what you want (laughs) have a great time but be mindful of all the stuff that you take in and extra waste and extra necessities that you might not necessarily need 
and like I said, you know, think a little bit more of the sustainable, reusable big jugs, not just the small water bottles. You know, that I'm thinking about people staying hydrated as well out there so they can be safe. Yeah, I, I love the philosophy. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just how we were raised, uh, but we have to try to help folks that weren't raised that way and uh, just <laughs> show them the light, you know. <laughs> I guess. Well, sis, thanks so much for taking the time. This was a great conversation. Thank you so, so much. At the end of this year's festival, many acts of altruism and sharing of resources and shelter for those attendees that were struggling in the heavy rains were reported. Perhaps the thing that kind of killed everyone's vibe actually brought everyone a little closer to those OG burner principles. It's also worth pointing out that climate activists delayed entry to the festival by blocking the two-lane road with a trailer, demanding Burning Man, quote, ban private jets, single-use plastics, unnecessary propane burning, and unlimited generator use per capita at the nine-day event in Black Rock City, Nevada. Law enforcement eventually broke up the protest, and the steady stream of burners were able to make it inside the makeshift city. But however you see Burning Man, good or bad, it only comes around once a year for a week. But something like the proposed Thacker Pass lithium mine remains a looming threat that will change that area of land and its water forever. On the next episode of the Earth to Humans podcast, we wanted to have kind of a a conversation together for our next episode where it is that mindset of like, I don't know where to start. Like you're inundated with so much crap all day about how the world is ending, the ways the world is ending, how bad things are. And I think it was just good for us to have another sort of discussion about climate despair and dealing with like life around us on an ever warming and ever falling apart planet. Um, so I'm excited to have that conversation with you guys, but um, you know, I'm curious if it, if it brings up any, anything for our listeners too. probably a lot of people will relate to the topics we cover and the ways that we're feeling. So I think it'll be just like a good kind of therapy session for all of us <laughs> to just like debrief from our despair and kind of unpack it a little bit and figure out ways that we can move forward. And ahead of our next episode, which will feature a roundtable discussion with the whole ETH team, let us know how you feel about climate despair. How do you cope? What gives you hope or what keeps you up at night? Send in your comments or questions to earthtohumans at wildlensinc.org or DM us on social media at earthtohumanspod. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Serena Simons, and contains music from Blue Dot Sessions. To learn more about the proposed Thacker Pass lithium mine and ways you can fight against its development, go to protectthackerpass.org. <laughs>